Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. to get through this morning, so if you want to have a seat, you may notice a few less young people here this morning. We got, uh, they're at the youth retreat this weekend, and so continue to keep them in prayer as we wrap up things uh, this morning there. So um, we are in Genesis 24 this morning, and uh, this text is... Um, it's one of those where the steadfast love of the Lord is seen again and again. But we're going to see that pretty much from now to Genesis 50, all right? So I, I'm, I, as, well, as much as I could preach on that, I, what I want us to focus on this morning is this, this tension from our point of view between God's sovereignty, his providence, and human responsibility. How does it all Work together, and we're going to see that on display here in Genesis 24. The the fact that God is sovereign, that He is powerful, that He's uh, uh, um, leading and guiding uh, His people is seen in this text, and at the same time, we see the people walking in faithfulness to God. And 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 you know, one of the things that we think about when it comes to to, to the Lord God, we think about the miracles, right? When we think about God, He's like, man, He's just doing. Does this miracle and that miracle? Well, I think every day is a miracle if we really stop and think about it. The fact that all of history was under his sovereignty. The, the fact that today is under his sovereignty. The fact that tomorrow is, is under his sovereignty. And all of what's happening on the earth is leading, it's culminating to this point when Christ will return. And just as he was over everything in Christ's first coming, he would be over everything in his second coming, and he's over everything today. The question is, do we believe that, and are we living accordingly? I think a lot of believers say things like, well, that was lucky. Well, that was a coincidence, right? Like, do you you find yourself ever saying that kind of stuff? Oh, man, we're so lucky. Like, that was such a coincidence that we've seen those people. Really? That was a coincidence? That was lucky? Well, I think, if we're being honest, we think that way more often than we should. Because what we should be saying is, I really seen God at work when God was really sovereign when he, you know, like that, that should be our language. He, he is the one who's over everything that's happening. And, and, and we ought to live accordingly. Packer says this, believers are never in the grip of blind forces, fortune, chance, luck, fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice. Note he didn't say, whine and complain, all right? And, and again, when we don't live under the full sovereignty of God, we tend to go that grumble kind of route. So we're going to be looking at text. Turn to Genesis 24. If you don't have a Bible this morning, go ahead and slip up your hand. I should be happy to get you a copy. 
We're going to read through it. It's going to take us a few minutes because it's 67 verses long. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to break it down together. Okay? So um, Genesis 24. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but, I, but, sorry, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son there. But... If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I, will know, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, 
The Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he's become great. He's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take away from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And, you, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Behold, I had finished speaking in my heart. Be, be, sorry, before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelet on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me. 
since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Rebecca's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebecca and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lachoy Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, and she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let me pray. Lord God, we're so thankful um, for your word. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the heart. And God, we pray this morning as we study your word, Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you help us to know more of who you are? Would you help us to have an accurate understanding of who you are, God, that we might worship you for who you truly are? God, we pray that as we would live out each day, that our heart's desire, Lord, would be to live for you as your servants. Lord, we pray this morning for anyone here who does not yet know you, God, that you would open their eyes to see who you are, that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are loving. Lord, that you've made a way that they might be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ. God, we pray, Lord, would you draw them to yourself even today. And so, Lord, now as this preacher preaches, God, would you speak through him? Lord, would you change us to become more like you? It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so a roadmap to faithful living. A roadmap to faithful living. That's what we want to look at this morning. The first thing we need to uh, have this roadmap to faithful living is to live by the controlling theological point. To live by the controlling theological point. Now, what I mean by that is our theology ought to shape the way that we live. What you believe about God ultimately does shape the way that you live. If you believe that God is not in control, then you, you're kind of like every day is a little nerve-wracking, right? You, you do, you're kind of hoping you do enough to shape things the way you want them to be. But if you believe that God is fully in control, then you can rest in that. So what we believe about God is super important. And we see Abraham's theology being lived out here in this text. We begin by seeing that he is old now, likely 140 uh, it's been a few years now since Sarah has passed. And he's like, oh, I'm not getting any younger. I need to find a wife for my son. We read that he has been blessed, just as God had said he would be when he first called him to leave his home, homeland at the age of 75. So now 65 years later, he's seen that God is faithful over and over and over again. 
And he has made a covenant with him that, that it won't be, the blessings won't be just for him, but for his family to come. And ultimately, they will be given this land. So how will God now fulfill his promises to, 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 uh, to, uh, to the next generation? This is what we see unfolded here. And Abraham understands that who Abraham, or sorry, who Isaac marries is super important. So he calls in his best servant, right? We see that in verse 2. Calls in his best servant, his, his one who's over the whole household. And he gives them this task to go and find a wife for his son. Now, there's the whole put your hand under my thigh thing, which commentaries are all over the place as to what is going on here. The only other time we see this is in uh, Genesis 47, when Jacob says to Joseph, I want you to, to, to promise me that you will not bury me here in Egypt, but you will take me back to, to bury me with Abraham and Isaac. So it's the only other time we see this, this expression. Uh, Matthew probably summarizes the best as to what's going on here. The thigh indicates the procreative power and heritage of the patriarch's position as the source of the family. So it's, in other words, it's kind of like, swear by my name, <coughs> but not just my name, by the God of heaven and earth. We see that in verse 3. And what he wants him to do is to go from his, this land that they're living in, the land of Canaan, and go back to his homeland to find a gal for his son. Really clearly, he's not to marry a Canaanite. Right? We've seen that there. Why not? What's wrong with the Canaanite gals, you know? Well, number one, they've been cursed by God. Genesis 9. They are cursed by God, and they will continue in their sin until their sin reaches the fullness, and then that's when Israel will inherit the promised land, when God brings judgment upon Canaan. And so he's not to marry someone who is going to be cursed, he is from those who are to be blessed. And so the servant's like, okay, um, sure, I can go, but what, what if this doesn't work out? And he's like, should I, should I bring Isaac with me the next time? No, don't do that. Don't take Isaac back to live there. And in fact, the entire life of Isaac, he never goes back to the homeland. We never see that one time. He stays in the promised land. The promise is going to come to pass. They're going to have that land. And so he doesn't want him to leave to go back. He wants him to remain there. And Abraham believes, though, that God is going to bless him. Verse 7. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son there. That's his confidence is that God is going to supply for him a wife. And Abraham believes that. He believes God is sovereign, he is powerful, that he is able to do that. And so he, he entrusts this task to his servant. Now, I'm somehow going to get, have to get this sermon to the youth, but maybe there's a few singles around still. I think there's a lot of application for the single folk here today in regards to what you should be looking for in a wife, okay? We're going to start with, she needs to be a believer. 
She needs to be a believer. Uh, it wasn't just for back then. I, I love, I mean, as you start to think about the parallels, a person who is blessed of the Lord, a person who is now a child of God, should not be marrying someone who is a child of wrath, someone who's cursed, someone who ultimately is living for the opposite. Ephesians 5, 7 tells us that, therefore do not become partners with them. He's talking about unbelievers. You, you can't be partners with unbelievers as a believer. Now, single folks, just a little marriage uh, 101 here. The person you marry, it's for life, right? You marry for life. They become your most important relationship on this earth. There is to be no other relationship above it. And the two become one. So it should be logical for us to understand this. You cannot be marrying someone who is anti-God while you are pro-God. Uh, they put it like this in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15 should be on the screen. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What, apport- what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? He's like, it, they don't mix. Do you understand? It's like oil and water. Like, like darkness and light, they don't mix. How, how, can, how can they come together? How could you be yoked together, be partnered together in, in, in any true way if there is light and darkness. How can, uh, he, makes, he makes it really clear, what, what accord has Christ with Belial? Satan and Christ don't go together. If you are living in righteousness, you're going this way. If you're living in lawlessness, you're going this way. I mean, he's making it super clear. What portion does a believer share with the unbeliever? The portion for the believer is eternal glory to come. The portion for the unbeliever is eternal wrath to come. And so it's not just for Abraham's son Isaac that he should marry someone from the family. You and I, as believers, are to marry from the family of God. Was there eight, eight billion people now? Is that right? So if you kind of divide it in half, you're like, okay, you know, guys, you got four billion gals to marry from. Is that true? Well, no. You only have the amount of believers that are there. That's who you should be looking at marrying. All right? Everybody on the same page? We're good with that? Okay? So Abraham understands this. Who he, his son marries is super important. Who you marry someday, super important. So the task has been given to the servant, and he does the hand of the thigh thing, and he swears by the God of heaven and earth that he will do this. Second thing, roadmap to faithful living, is the guiding spiritual principles. The guiding spiritual principles. So now we have our theological viewpoint. We understand, and we, now we live accordingly. And I want us to be thinking about what are some of the things that should be part of my daily existence if I'm going to live under the providence of God. The first thing is we need to act wisely. Act wisely. Sometimes we think that faith in wisdom are separate things, right? 
You know, for example, this, this servant is like, okay, well, I'm on the task for the Lord. I guess I'll just walk out now and, and hope, he, hope he leads me, hope he guides me. No, he, he has a plan. He's got a bunch of camels, 10 camels. Why? Because there's a long journey ahead. They got a, he's got fellow servants with him. Traveling scholars get between anywhere between a month to two months journey that he's going on. This wasn't a weekend trip, okay? He's going a long distance, taking camels. Why? They're going across desert places. And if she says yes, you're going to need her and her gals and all her stuff to come back, right? So, and we want to represent who we are, which is what? We're a blessed people, so we want to take some bling with us. So they see that, and we need to pay the bride price. So he's acting wisely, right? And he, and he takes off on his journey, and as he comes into the area where he believes the kinsmen are, where does he go? Verse 11, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening. Listen, the time when women go out to draw water. Well, it seems like there's a little wisdom going on there. He goes to a place where the gals will be, right? Eligible women are found at this spot. That's where he goes to. I mean, how many fellas, maybe we'll pick on, we'll pick on the fellas this morning, I just can't find a gal. Well, where are you looking? Are you going to where they're at? I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Oh, I just can't find any good guys, you know, just, you know, all I can find are guys who are unbelievers. Well, because you're going to the club every week. What, what do you think you're going to find there? You're not going to find godly guys there, right? So, so we need to act wisely in our daily living. If you're going to find the right spouse, but also if you're going to live for the Lord in any way, whether you're in your workplace or in your, in your home, we need to live with wisdom. <laughs> Let's just continue to pick on the young folks. Schooling, for example. Wisdom would say you should study for your exams, Right? I remember going to Bible college and not appreciating it when the prof would say, Lord, I just pray that you would help the students to remember everything that they've studied this morning. I didn't like that prayer because I didn't do any studying. I was hoping for a miraculous revelation from the Lord instead, right? That's not acting wisely. That's acting the fool. And then hoping God will come through for you. So live with wisdom, act wisely. As he acts wisely, he also, though, understands it's not all about him. It's also about what the Lord is doing. So he prays dependently. He prays dependently. We see this in verses 12 to 14. As the servant goes about his mission, he he very much is understanding, unless the Lord blesses, unless the Lord guides, it's not going to work. He can act wisely all he wants. If the favor of God's not there, it's not going to happen. And so he prays dependently. He, he, he brings up chesed, which is this, this covenant loyalness that, that God has been showing to his master Abraham over and over again. And he said, would you do that again for your servant Abraham? 
I'm on this task for him. I'm representing him. Would you show me favor by showing me? Now, he prays very specifically. I'm going to ask a gal to give me some water. I want her to be able to say yes. And then I want also her to say, I want you to, and then she'll, she'll water the camels. It's going to be a sign that, that, that she is the one. I think there's two things that we can learn from that. One, he, he prays very specifically, right? He prays very specifically. He knows whether or not God answered his prayer at the end of the day. Sometimes our prayers are like, God, just bless all the missionaries. Okay, great. I mean, bless all. But what is, how do you measure whether God answered that prayer or not? I mean, he's praying very specifically, and he'll know whether God said yes or no at the end of the day. And so we should pray specifically. And then he prays dependently, right? He's trusting the Lord. Lord, you have to do it. And so it should be in our lives as we, as we go throughout our day. Lord, I, I'm dependent upon you. Lord, if the fruit of the Spirit is going to be seen in my life today, if there's going to be like joy and peace and patience and kindness seen while I'm working then I am dependent upon you. you that, that prayer should be a part of your every day as you pull into the parking lot. Lord, to you be the glory. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in this workplace. And so, Lord, I'm your vessel. Lord, Lord help me to, today, I'm praying for Bob, right? Lord, if, as I go through my day, Lord, help me to just shine your light to Bob. Lord, I'm praying for an opportunity that I might share the gospel with Bob, right? whatever, but pray specifically as you go through your time. As you, as you go out to a restaurant, Lord, we are your vessels. I'm praying that, Lord, we could be an encouragement to the people we're meeting with. Lord, I think they might be discouraged. Lord, help us to just speak a word of encouragement to them. Like, are you praying dependently as you go through your day? Or is it kind of like, my kingdom come, my will be done? Prayer puts the focus where it ought to be, on him. And so this is what he does. He prays dependently. And then because he's prayed very specifically, very dependently, he now is able to, third, discern carefully. He's able to discern carefully as to, okay, I've prayed this. Now I'm going to watch to see where God is at work. I'm trusting that he is at work. He's guiding. He's leading. What's going to happen here? And so before he can even finish the prayer, this gal comes along, right? And, and she's pretty. That's what the text tells us. She's a pretty girl. She, she, she's, she's a virgin. She's also, Moses tells us before this guy finds out, she's also the kindred of Abraham. Just happens to be the gal. Just happened. Just what a coincidence. Is that what's going on here? No, God is in control. God is in control. So he sees her. He quickly goes over. And did you notice what he says? Can I have a little water? Don't ask for much, just a little water. How will she respond to that? Now, when you first read this, it almost seems like, like it's like a fleece, right? You know, like if the sun goes up two stairs, great, you know, then we'll know this. If the sun goes down two stairs, like it's, but this is, there's so much more going on here. Because what he's going to see is, is this woman hospitable? Is she a compassionate person? Is she a hardworking person? So she says, yeah, I'll give you some water. And like right away, right? 
She calls him my Lord. She's very respectful. And then she says, I'm going I'm to take care of your camels too. Until they're done drinking is what she says. Anybody ever water a camel here? Do you know how much a camel can drink? 25 gallons of water. Okay? Times 10. She has just signed up to haul 250 gallons of water from the spring. <laughs> this is quite the gal, right? So, so and she, what we read, she does it quickly. She, she works hard. She, she, you know, she, she's happy to do it. She has zero expectations. And so when you read that he gazed at her, he had some time. You know, it didn't take just a couple minutes to drink for all these camels to get drank, drank all the water that they needed to drink. So, so he, he discerns that she's the one. She's the one. He, 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 can, he can see it. She's passed the test with flying colors. She's a servant. She's hospitable. She's hardworking. All these things that, that, that are necessary to be Isaac's wife. And so... Let's just pull the car over for a moment again. Singles, whoever you marry, you need to discern carefully. Like if you go and you find out that person that you're interested in just became a Christian that day when they found out you were a Christian, you may want to take some time. Like do they have a pattern of following the Lord when you're not around? How are they around their families? What do their friends say about them? Like, what's their character? What's their story? As you consider who you will marry, these are the things that you should be asking. You need to discern carefully. And so it is with all the important decisions of our life. And one of the the blessings that God gives us is each other, right? I don't, I mean, I, there's this job opportunity in Toronto. I think the Lord might be in it. If you come here, everyone's going to say, you're ridiculous. Who wants to move to Toronto, right? <laughs> Godly people would say, okay, well, tell me about the opportunity. What will that mean for your family? What will that mean for you spiritually, right? They, they'll, they'll walk alongside you. They'll help you think it through, is to see, is the Lord truly guiding in this? This is something that's so important as we go through life to invite the counsel of others so that we might know, is God leading in this, or is this something I'm just thinking I should be doing? I mean, if you're the only person that thinks that this guy or this gal is the right one for you, you probably, well, not probably, you need to stop, right, and hold off. And probably break her off. Right? All right, so discern carefully. Fourthly, obey fully. I want to just cover this quickly, but but note that he he is on task, right? He gets there. He's not praying that God over the next month will help him, you know, get find somebody. He's like, help me find somebody tonight. God answers the prayer. He worships. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Then, then he's like, okay, hey, can, can me and the fellas come stay at your dad's place? You got room for us? Yes. 
They get there. They wash their feet before he'll even eat a morsel. He's like, hey, I got, I got, I got to tell you what, why I'm here. I, I, want, I, want to, I want to ask you a question. And basically, he, he asks, can would you give Rebecca to be the wife of Isaac? And they say yes. He's been traveling for a month or two, right? The next day, he's like, we got to go. I, I don't know about you, but I may not want to ride a camel for a day or two after that. But that's not his focus. He, needs, he wants to obey fully and wholeheartedly and quickly. He has an urgency about his obedience. And so he says, we got to leave. After Laban tries to delay them, which will be a theme as we look at the book of Genesis, they, they leave, right? And he gets there and he, and he completes the task. He goes straight to Isaac and hands off the new bride. He obeys fully. He doesn't delay in his obedience. He doesn't do it halfways. He is urgent in it and he is, has full obedience. So it should be for you and I today. On a daily basis, we want to walk in full obedience to the Lord. Not delaying, but walking in full obedience to him. That's what God calls us to. May, this, may we follow the example of the servant. And then fifthly, we see that he worships thoughtfully. He worships thoughtfully. What I mean by that is that he has eyes to see that God is at work. He, he, he doesn't miss all that God is doing. He prays, and then before he knows whether or not the, the mission is going to be complete, he's already worshiping the Lord, Right? Because he's answered his prayer. He asks, you know, Lord, let there be a gal who will give me a drink of water and then say the camels. And he did it. So he doesn't delay in his worship. He worships right away. And then I love how he recounts, I mean, it's 67 verses because he tells the whole story all over again. Right? <laughs> did you notice that? But it's really important to notice that because he's just worshiping the Lord by giving him the glory for all that he's done. He's not saying, hey, look how great I am. He's saying, look how great God is. That's, that's what he's doing. And, and what I love about it, it doesn't seem weird, right? How many of you are weird about giving glory to God? Well, I can't really share that with my coworkers. Why not? Why would you not give glory to God for everything that he's doing in your life? They can take it or leave it. Like, but sometimes we kind of like, oh, you know, I don't want to, how do I be a witness? Just tell people what's going on in your life. Give him the glory. They're doing it. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. I was looking at my horoscope and then, then this happened. Isn't that amazing? They're not like, they're not like, well, I don't know if I should share with Bob about my horoscope because they might be offended by that. I mean, they're not doing that. So why are you? Right? Worship privately, worship publicly. This is the example of a servant. So it should be in our life. Acting wisely, praying dependently, discerning carefully, obeying fully, worship thoughtfully each and every day as you entrust that God is over it all. And then thirdly, I want us to see the roadmap to faithful living includes living by the honoring ethical practices living by the honoring ethical practices, what I'm trying to say by this is that our life should be different than unbelievers. There, there should be characteristics of your life 
where God is able to just pour gasoline on those things, right? We've already seen it with Abraham's faith. He has faith that God will bless. And so he sends out his servant believing that God will do what he says he would do. The servant. Isn't that amazing? That's all we know about this guy. What's his name? The servant. Harry? Bob? We don't, I mean, we don't know his name. But guess what? We sure know a whole lot about the God he worships. Isn't that, isn't that a great parallel for you and I? Like, who cares if people know our name as long as they know our God? Like, let's make his name great. And not, not so concerned about our own names, but make his name great. He, he's such a model for us. And so we, we've looked at the way he lived. But I want us just to think about now Rebecca. Think about her life. First thing that we see is that she was a woman of purity. That without that purity, then, then there would be no relationship. But because she had kept herself pure, then God is able to use her. I mean, I think if we're being honest, when it comes to sexual immorality, we continue to lower the bar in the church. But God's standard is really clear. One woman, one man, within the bonds of marriage, for life, that's how sex is to be enjoyed. It's a gift from God, but that's the place it's to be enjoyed. Not before marriage, not in addition to your marriage partner, not in your minds, not, not thinking sexually wrongly in your minds, but, but being pure. This is the standard God has for us. This is what he desires for us. And I could just, what I could, if I could just encourage you this morning, if you're, if you're sitting here like, well, it's too late for me. I already messed up. Is it too late? Because as far as I know, we serve a God who forgives. We serve a God who says, bring your sins to me, confess your sins, and then go sin no more. Isn't that what he said to the woman caught in adultery? And so that's you this morning. Stop listening to Satan's lies that you're like, oh, you're just, you know, you're, you're never going to be good enough. You're never. No. God, God's good. He's gracious. Submit to him in this area of your life and then be used of him to be salt and light in this dark, dark world. So she's pure. She's a hard worker. She's a hard worker. She didn't just wake up that day and become a hard worker. Hey, singles, just a heads up. You don't, there's no magic that happens on the wedding day, right? You don't, you don't wake up a schmuck and then get, say, I do and become an amazing person. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> and all the spouses said amen, right? So you've you, you got to work at it each day. The task of 250 gallons of water doesn't intimidate her because she's already become a hard worker. She has a hard work ethic in her life. And God is able to use that hard work in, in pointing Isaac, or sorry, um, the servant to this woman that this would be Isaac's wife. She's also hospitable, right? She showed compassion to the stranger. Like she could have said, go pound sand, I'm busy, right? She could have, 
But she doesn't. Why? Because she shows compassion to him. She shows compassion to the animals. She's more than happy to say, yeah, please come. Stay with us. Right? We, we have room. We'll take care of you. She has zero expectation of receiving anything back. That, like, she's just truly hospitable. God calls you and I to be hardworking, hospitable. Again, these, these characteristics should be seen in our lives. God wants to use us as his people, and being hardworking, hospitable should be characteristics of his people. I mean, Paul, what did he say? I work harder than anyone else. Yet not I, but God's strength in me, right? He under, he's praying dependently. He's like, it's all up to God, but he doesn't. I mean, does anybody think that he was one of the hardest workers around? Right? And God used him mightily. Hospitality, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, listen, be hospitable because some of you have even entertained angels unaware. Like, show compassion and love to strangers. Use the resources that God has given you to care for those around you. This should be what we do as we seek to be used of God in our lives. And then we see, of course, her faith. And we can't overemphasize the importance of faith in our lives. It's so interesting. She, in many ways, parallels to Abraham, does she not? She's called out of a land to go to a different land. She, 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 she is leaving behind her ancestors to go. I mean, in so many ways, her faith is no different than Abraham's. She's like Ruth. She's like, my God will now be your God. I mean, she's exemplary in faith. And God is using all of this. I love how Ross says that Rebecca already began to display faithful love to the servant, his family, and ultimately to Isaac by going to be his wife and to be a part of his blessed family. But behind it all, God was displaying his faithful covenant love for the family and his plan by bringing all these things together. In his providence and by his faithful love, God sovereignly worked behind the scenes. They go together, right? They're, they're not apart from one another. They go together. And, and if we want to be a part of what God is doing, then we need to join him in his work by being people of character. Or you can be like Laban. Like, does anybody recognize that we're going to see Laban again? Like with Jacob, right? It's going to be, he's, he's a piece of work. And, and then notice the first thing we see about Laban. What did he notice? What was the first thing he noticed? Gold. Gold. And he noticed the gold ring and the gold bracelets. And he's like, hey, 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 come on over. What are you doing out there? Like, come on in. We would love to have you in, right? Why? Because it means stuff. Why does he want him to stick around another 10 days? I think he's hoping to milk a little bit more out of the situation, Right? Like, that's Laban. But God's plans are still done despite the Labans of the world. That's what I want us to see here. Now, for those of us here, you can be Laban or you can be Rebecca. Which one will you choose to be? Will you choose to see God's plans being done despite you or through you? I pray everyone here is like, I, wanna, I want God's plans to be done through me. So I want to walk faithfully in his ways each and every day. I mean, Genesis 24 is such a beautiful picture of how in this microcosm we see God's plans being fulfilled through faithful people. 
And so that's my prayer for you this morning. That would be your desire. God, use me. I want to be used of you. I believe that you are on your throne, that there are no coincidences in my life. There is no lucky days, that everything that happens is under your control. And so let me walk faithfully, that, Lord, your kingdom might come, your will might be done. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. God, we do, um, we do want to pray for our singles. It's hard, Lord, um, to wait upon your timing, to wait upon the right person. But God, I pray that you would give them faith, Lord, to trust you for that, that, Lord, in your timing, in your way, you'll, Lord, you'll bring the husband or wife that, Lord, they would desire. But in the meantime, God, would you help them to become the men and women of God that they need to be? Lord, I pray that for all of us here this morning. Lord, would you increase faithfulness in us? Lord, would you help us to, to walk dependently upon you each and every day as we go through our day? Lord, we do want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, we pray, will we learn from the servant? Will we learn from Rebecca? Lord, um, and maybe we would be warned by the Labans of this world. God, we love you. Thank you for this time together. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.